Good morning, church. Hey, a uh, real quick announcement first. Um, we are going to be um, moving on to uh, a, a different series. This is the holiday season, and um, the next series starting next Sunday will be based on Advent. Um, along with that, uh, Jessica and I will be hosting an Advent group um, study, kind of a uh, devotional at our house on Monday night for um, four Mondays starting uh, Monday the 27th at 6.30. So that's 6.30 at uh, my house on Monday evenings. If you would like to come, um, everyone is welcome. Kids, it doesn't matter. Um, we will accommodate. So um, if you want more information on that, uh, we'll have more informa information available. So uh, let's pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time to read your word. Lord, And we ask that your word will just enter us so that we may use it in our families and our communities. Lord, help us to have wisdom and discernment. And Lord, help us to understand your love. It's so hard for us, God. Uh, but we know that your love is perfect. So we thank you for that. And help us to understand that now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, here lately we've been talking about the pilgrims and their quest to live lives that honor God. The pilgrims, they went from England to Holland. They went to Holland because in England they were persecuted. And they weren't able to worship God the way that they felt uh, God wanted them to worship him. And so they went to uh, Holland. And in Holland, there was no religious persecution, uh, but there was distractions. There was a lot of things that were uh, preventing them, like jobs that they had to work all day, seven days a week, things that prevented them from um, having the time and energy to worship God the way they wanted to. There was distraction. And so they hopped on the Mayflower, and they sailed across the ocean, to America. And that wasn't easy. That was not an easy task, sailing all that way. And then they get to America, and it wasn't just like, yeah, we're home now. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, check this out. Um, this is the definition of a pilgrim. A pilgrim, a traveler, one who journeys through foreign lands. This is a pilgrim. Are you a pilgrim? Now, when the original pilgrims in America arrived in America, they weren't home. And they knew they weren't home because God's word told them so. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. They knew they weren't home. Home is a safe place. And we have places that we call home here on earth. Uh, maybe you have been out of the country. And if you've been out of the country, you know that uh, when you're on your trip home, you're flying in that jet and you're, you're getting ready to land, whether you... Uh, land at uh, Chicago O'Hare or, or Los Angeles or, or KCI, when you get on American soil again, you feel a sense of, I'm, I'm home. You know, my home country. 
now I can speak the same language as folks here. Um, now I know about the community and the culture. And so you feel a little bit of sense of, of, of I'm home, on the homeland. And maybe uh, you've been out of town or out of state, actually, traveling maybe um, on vacation or to see family during the holidays. You're out of state. And when you cross the border of Kansas, you're like, I'm home now. I'm back in Kansas. Uh, maybe it's when you went out of town and you, when you get back into Colony or Iola or Garnett, like I'm, I'm home now. You know, there's people that know me in this place. I can, uh, you know, walk to a place where folks know who I am and, and they love me. And, you know, each step closer to home gets us uh, closer to a place where we can feel comfortable about until finally we get to what we most often and typically call home our house. We can walk through the front door of our house and feel comfortable. You know, there's a pantry there with food that you can just go and grab food off the shelf and eat it. And there's a couch and a bed where you can relax. You know, the house is a place that is, is warm in the wintertime. It's cool in the summertime. It's secure. Home is what we usually call it. You know, another thing that's usually in our home is people, maybe animals, that love us. That's what makes up a home. Love. And I think this is the biggest factor of home. Love. First Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 13 says, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now, the problem is that in the places that we call home here on earth, there's not always love that abounds. You know what abounds means? Uh, abound in abundance, a surplus, um, plenty, extra, more than enough, abounds. And unfortunately, not all homes have an abundance of love. But our true home does. Our true home is with the Lord in heaven. And in our true home, love abounds. Plenty of it, lots of it, extra amounts of love because of our Lord Jesus. The true pilgrim has to know where their true home is. And you have to keep it at the front of your mind because if you shift your focus to expecting abounding love from a place here on earth, you're probably going to lose heart. You're going to get discouraged. Now back to the American pilgrims. They arrive, and they lose a lot of people. Folks sick, as we talked about last week. Bad things happen. Times were hard when they got to the land. And it wasn't just like they stepped through the door of the house, and they went to the pantry to get some food, and then rested on the couch. They struggled. You know, these guys weren't trained survivalists. They were average 
folks like us, maybe farmers, hard workers. They had faith in the Lord. They struggled. They struggled. But you know what I think made them able to persevere through it all? Yes, faith. And yes, hope. But ultimately, love. And not just love for one another. I think they understood how much God loved them. And they really, really loved God. All the pilgrims, they knew God's love. They had a serious relationship with the Lord before they started any of this whole journey. A part of them were what were called separatists, and part of them were Puritans. Now, to explain that, um, quite simply, is that a, a Puritan is someone who um, believed that the Church of England at the time the state church wasn't, wasn't doing things correctly and they wanted to purify that church. So they wanted to stay with that church. They just thought that they needed to do things to help the church change, help the church get more serious um, about the scripture and less about the um, decisions or influence of man. So they wanted to purify that church, stay with it. Now the separatists, on the other hand, um, decided that they wanted to be separate from the Church of England. They wanted to separate so that they would be apart to be able to worship God the way that they chose. Now, uh, Jesus calls us in um, our lives in, in different situations to do both, I think. If we're to use uh, separatism and uh, puritism in our lives, Sometimes Jesus tells you in, in the, the, the scripture that he's telling us about, um, he tells you to be faithful um, to your mission, to work hard at completing it, to stick with it, to persevere. And then sometimes he says there comes a point when you uh, dust the dust off your feet and you move forward to something new to put your energy into a place where a seed will grow. We'll water another seed there. So Jesus can tell us to do. So I'm not saying that uh, the Puritans or the Separatists, either one, were the good guys and, and, and the bad guys, or the, or the wrong guys and the right guys. In both cases, though, they focused on doing the Lord's will. They kept God their focus, their center. And before I get into our points today, I want to direct your attention to Lamentations. Lamentations is a book of the Bible that I rarely use. I can't even remember the last time I used a verse from this book in my sermons. And um, the first uh, several verses, you'll realize probably why, but every word of God is inspired and useful for teaching and rebuking and, and for us to learning His will. Um, so let me read to you just a few verses out of Lamentations. Keep in mind the pilgrims and what they were going through. I think this does a good job at explaining how they may have felt. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. 
He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in. I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. Can you imagine the pilgrims thinking that? Man, we've been through this trip. And it's been hard and we've lost half of our folks. And we're freezing and we're starving. And it's difficult. And we know that God has a plan for us, but it just seems like they would think God is is not uh, giving us blessing right now. It continues on with verse 16. He has made me chew on gravel, has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet still, I dare to hope when I remember this. This is where it gets really good, where I think the pilgrims really had a grip on. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. And let me read verse 22 again. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Does that remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. These three things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The love of the Lord never ends. I think this is perfect. This must have been what the pilgrims had in mind that kept them pushing on, kept them moving forwards. Now I'm going to read to you the only surviving evidence of the first Thanksgiving at Plymouth Rock in 1621. So we celebrate Thanksgiving every year, and um, this is a big national holiday. We grow up learning about it, um, but all of the information that we have on this holiday, um, the original one, comes from one paragraph in a journal that was written by a man named Edward Winslow. journal is entitled Mort's Relation when they made it a book. Now let me read this to you. And some of the words are misspelled. Well, only misspelled for us. They were probably correctly spelled back then. But I, I like the fact that it, it's so much different. We can see the time that has changed in it. This is the paragraph. Our harvest being gotten in our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. 
many of the Indians coming amongst us, and amongst the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it not it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Now that's, that's the paragraph that records the first Thanksgiving in our land as we celebrate it now. Now recognize that this is absolutely not Scripture, and these people were absolutely not perfect. But from when this, this one paragraph about the original American Thanksgiving feast, I get four points that will help us be thankful in living as Christians. The first point that I pull out of this uh, paragraph is that the first Thanksgiving was intentional. It was intentional. You read the first part of that with me? It said they sent four men fowling, which fowling is hunting birds, uh, fowl, you know, waterfowl, um, getting birds. They sent four men out to bring back some birds so that they could eat it with their abundance of corn and other crops. It's like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to intentionally plan it. And you guys go and get some birds to bring back so that we can have this first, which they didn't call it a Thanksgiving dinner, but this first dinner where we will give thanks. You know, I think we need to be intentional about celebrating things. I'm not just saying like birthdays and, and holidays, but intentional about celebrating achievements in life. Maybe your kid brings home an A plus on a test. Intentionally celebrate that. You know, somehow, um, there are lots of things that we can celebrate. Maybe the Lord does something good in your life. Intentionally celebrate that. And hey, we need to be intentional about loving. If you're married, you know that love isn't just an, a natural, easy thing. Unless you've only been married for a little bit of time, then it's natural and easy. But if you've been married for a while, it's got to be Intentional. You have to intentionally make decisions to love your spouse. And you will be blessed for it. I think we need to absolutely remember to be intentional about loving. We surely have to be intentional about loving uh, the folks who maybe we uh, are not crazy about. Or the folks who, uh, well, they tend not to get along with us. We have to be intentional about loving them. And we have to be intentional about giving thanks. Um, it just doesn't happen. We don't be thankful naturally. Now, I have a little video to show um, that will kind of help us understand this. It, it's Go ahead and play it. Okay. Who would like to bless this fine meal? You know what, sweetie? That would be perfect. We would love that. Dear God, thank you for, thank you for 
you for peas, and thank you for pie, and thank you for food, and thank you for butterflies, and then thank you for pink, and thank you for playtime, thank you for cars, thank you for bubbles, and thank you for gum, chewy gum. <laughs> Thank you for Barbies, and thank you for my friends. Thank you for princesses, and then thank you for eyes to see. Thank you for cars, thank you for pretty dresses. Or thank you for my skateboard and my bike. And thank you for riding my skateboard with me. And thank you for riding my bike with me. Oh, that was a good one. Thank you for pretty dresses. Thank you for yes, princess shoes. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you for butterflies. Thank you for fairies, thank you for chocolate ice cream, and thank you for my trampoline, and thank you for corn candy, and thank you for crowns, gum, most of all, thank you for my family. They're a bad family in the whole wide world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Well, I hope that's not exactly how your uh, Thanksgiving prayer goes. Um, but I think it, uh, it's pretty realistic as far as when we're praying thanks to God. We've got a lot of things to be thankful about, but there's a lot of distractions that pull our attention away, even while we're praying. We have to be intentional about thanking God. Otherwise, the football game or uh, our telephone or uh, flinging food at our grandpa. Something like that will distract us away from knowing what we need to be thankful to God about. We need to be intentional. You know, thankfulness and love go hand in hand, and you need to be intentional about both. Luke chapter 8, verse 46, tells us about a... uh, a time when Jesus was on his way to um, heal a man, a man's child that had sent for him. And um, there was this woman. And this woman had suffered from an ailment um, for years, seven, seven years, I believe it was, um, maybe more than that. Uh, years she had, she had been bleeding for a long time. And she was... Uh, just waiting for the point to get better. You know, nothing had helped. And when she seen Jesus walking through, guess what? She intentionally made a decision to do the thing that she believed would help her. Nothing else had helped. And here comes Jesus. She'd heard about Jesus. She intentionally decided, boy, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm intentionally going to do it. And she goes up to Jesus. The crowd was pressing all on Jesus. Everybody, the scripture says there's a, they were just pressing in on all sides of him, and she touches him, intentionally touches him. And Jesus says, who just touched me? The disciples were like, there's a lot of people here. We, we don't know who just touched you. But, you know, he says, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out for me. 
This is the next intentionality that we see from this story. Not only that the woman was intentional about seeking out Jesus, but Jesus was intentional about calling her out. Hey, he knew that the power went out of him because he's the Lord. He could have just went on, I guess, and she probably would have been just fine, healed forever after that from her ailment. But he intentionally said, no, hold on. Somebody touched me, and power went out, and he healed her, or he made everybody know that she was healed. And the next verse tells us, uh, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. An excellent example of being intentional. The woman was intentional, and Jesus was intentional. The first Thanksgiving was intentional. Folks, let us being thankful, giving thanks, and loving others be intentional. Now, number two, um, they enjoyed fellowship. They enjoyed fellowship. The pilgrims and the natives interacted together. We get this from this paragraph. The king of the natives, Massasoit, honored the governor of the pilgrims. Um, They brought five deer, five deer. They went out and, and, and hunted them, brought them back to this, um, this celebration. And William Bradford, who was the governor, honored Massasoit, the, the king of the natives, um, and the 90 men that he brought with him. This was a big deal. This just wasn't the uh, 10 or 20 of you around the family table. There was a bunch of folks. And they were there for at least three days. The natives, the natives were there for three days and the pilgrims perhaps for a week long. The pilgrims um, entertained them. And there was recreation. There was during this uh, fellowship. You know, some, some people say, well, there was probably games. Um, maybe they had a, a leather ball or something. Um, I take joy in the fact that the only thing that they mentioned as far as recreation was they exercised arms. They uh, got their muskets out, and they um, did some target practice, right? They did uh, marksmanship, and, you know, they were, they were uh, recreating, it says. So they had fun, and they spent time together. The point is, we need to spend time together, and we need to love one another. In the New Testament, both in the Gospels and in Acts, we see the first church and the followers of Jesus gathering together on a regular basis. Jesus starts out the whole thing by having um, people come to a, a, a place of gathering to learn from him. And then he has them, he goes to the Pharisees' house and they have a dinner there together in the house with tax collectors and sinners. They get together and they share time and they share fellowship for learning and teaching and loving each other. And I think uh, if, if we were to take two examples, as Mary and Martha are a good examples. They, two ladies who continued the fellowshipping in one room. Um, the, the scripture tells us um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, we know the story about Mary and Martha. 
we usually think, well, um, Martha was the lady who just had to do all the work, and uh, Mary was the one who, um, you know, did what was right because she paid attention to Jesus. But I think we're missing something. Um, Martha is mentioned first. A uh, certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. So here's Martha saying, hey, let's have a meal together. Let's do this thing. Let's fellowship, share time. And I think Mary and Martha were just probably these ladies that really enjoyed um, providing a place to get together and, and fellowship. Now, our sister Mary uh, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Um, again, you know, sometimes we think, well, th th there's a lesson in this about, uh, you know, preparing or uh, listening to Jesus. But I think we can see that it's good to get together um, in church gatherings. We gather together like we did last night um, after we served our community. We gather together. Maybe family gatherings. This is included in that. Uh, community gatherings. You know, there's nothing social about media. It's just, it's not social fellowship. Be social in person. In person, that's what fellowship is. Um, fellowship. And number three, they feasted. They enjoyed what God had entrusted them with. Some say in this first Thanksgiving there was no turkey. Um, the journals record them eating turkey before and after the date of the so-called first Thanksgiving. And um, four guys were sent fowling, as we read in that paragraph, fowling, you know, that water fowl, maybe duck, maybe geese, maybe pigeons, um, and uh, maybe turkey. So it's very possible that they ate turkey. And, of course, um, this was a potluck meal. The natives brought their deer, and uh, they had a big meal, a celebration. And, by the way, the natives were the ones who had taught the pilgrims how to plant corn, which was why they had a generous amount of crops, um, food abounding. And it's interesting, the food that abounded because of, well, I guess you could say love. Did the natives really love the pilgrims? Did the pilgrims really love the natives? Well, I mean, we don't know what the feeling was between them, but... As we mentioned before, love is so much more of an action than it is a feeling. So the act of them bringing food to each other, I think, would very, very much be an act of love. Fun fact, <clears throat> the first Thanksgiving was eaten with uh, spoons and knives, but no forks. Interesting enough, uh, forks weren't probably introduced to the pilgrims until 10 years later on, and they weren't popular utensils until the 1700s. Well, that's just a fun fact. It has nothing to do with anything else, but be, <laughs> be grateful for your fork, I suppose. The point is that to use what God has entrusted us with, no hoarding, I mean... We can save back things for difficult times. 
And we can do what it takes to keep our families uh, taken care of and our communities doing well as far as conserving. But we've got to remember that we can't take any of this with us. I used to struggle with opening a, a fresh box of things. Um, so like food, maybe a, a box of crackers. I would go to the pantry and I would want, to, <clears throat> I would want something to eat. And if there was an open box of crackers, then uh, I'd grab the open box of crackers and eat those. But if there was a closed box that was sealed up, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to open them up. Um, I won't open a fresh box. It'll keep it in there because they'll keep better closed. And maybe, you know, that'd be like that with a, a jug of milk. I have cereal this morning and all the, I, I drank all the last milk, so there's a fresh one that's sealed. I'll leave it in there. The kids can open it up because I don't want it to spoil. Well, you know what? Milk spoils even if it's sealed up. Um, and, you know, it, it would go on throughout my life that, uh, you know, if I'd have a box of cartridges instead of uh, going shooting that day, if the box was fresh and it didn't have any of them taken out, I'd leave that box all nice and neatly packed. Well, you don't get to be a better shot if you're not practicing a little bit. Um, one time I had a Bible and I'd lost my previous one. So I got a new Bible, and it was all nice and new and fresh, and it had a nice cardboard box that it came in, and I carried it around in that cardboard box, and sometimes I'd pull off the deal, and I'd pull out my Bible, and I'd, I'd read it, but then I'd put it back in and, put it, and pack it up. And so sometimes I found myself, I wouldn't um, break out my Bible, because I wouldn't take it camping for fear of getting it all wrinkled up or getting it wet. I kept wanting to keep my Bible nice and fresh. Well, you guys can see the problem with that problem with all of that man God has given us things entrusted us things the things that we need to use in Acts chapter 10 God used a food illustration to prepare Peter for ministering to a fellow named Cornelius Cornelius uh, was a Gentile man and he was a man that uh, had a potential to influence a lot of other people. And the Lord spoke to Cornelius. And, but before that, the uh, Lord spoke to Peter in an illustration of a dream. Peter had this dream. And in his dream, there was a sheet with all kinds of foods that Peter didn't eat beforehand. It says reptiles and birds, perhaps lizards and snakes and, and birds that normally he didn't eat. And Peter was like, man, I've, that's against the old law. I can't eat any of that. I'm Jewish. I'm not going to eat any of that. And the Lord says, man, eat those things. Eat those things. I've made them clean, God says. And uh, Peter, he, he did that three times so Peter would understand. And then uh, finally he went and... Uh, followed the Lord's command, Cornelius came to him and he talked to Cornelius. He went into Cornelius's house, which a Jewish dude wasn't to go into a Gentile's house at that point in time. And Peter crossed that boundary and um, ministered to Cornelius, which put Cornelius in a, a position of spreading that good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to many other people because Peter realized there are certain things that I need to, uh, uh, I need to understand are for God's purposes. Um, we can leave them sealed up uh, and shut on the shelf and not ever get out this scripture, not ever do things that might be uncomfortable or that we've never done before. 
But when we do that, we're limiting God's power. He has made things for us to use. He has entrusted us with things. So there's nothing wrong with um, feasting, with uh, using what God has given us. This food illustration um, led to at least one person, probably lots of people being saved. He's given us things to use, appreciate them for God's purposes, and be a good steward. Don't let it go to waste by not using what he's providing. Which brings us to the last point. Recognize God in everything. The pilgrims, they recognized God. They honored him and they thanked him. That last, last sentence of the paragraph pointed directly to their creator and their provider. God is the whole reason we have thanksgiving. Without him, we needn't be thankful for anything. The point is to look to God. Now, there's a scripture in Numbers chapter 21 about the Israelites. We know all about the Israelites when they're wandering around in the desert. Man, they were complaining. All we got to eat is manna. We don't have turkey and mashed potatoes and uh, candied yams. We just got this manna. And sure, we were in slavery, and it was bad, but now we don't have the good food to eat. And they complained. And finally, there were snakes, poisonous ones, the kind of snakes that when they bit you, you died. And rattlesnakes around here, you, you get bitten. Maybe you don't die, you, just, you get really bad sick. These snakes people were dying from, snakes in the desert. And uh, they were losing a lot of folks and, until finally um, God tells Moses, make this uh, bronze serpent on a staff, make it. And then when the people look, at this bronze serpent symbolizes God, then they will be healed. And at that point in time, when they Moses did that, and I'm, I'm sure one of them tried first and was healed, he, he didn't die because he was bit by a snake that uh, hit something inside his mind. Wait, there's something to it. He told the next guy, and all of a sudden, you know, nobody's dying of snake bites anymore because they can focus their attention on. And it wasn't about the, the metal snake. It was about God. We need to focus our eyes on Him. And we recognize that He is the reason that we have life. He's the reason that we have blessings. The reason that we get together to give thanks for all of these things that we have. So I'll ask you again. Are you a pilgrim? The American Pilgrims, they give us four good points on how to live a serious life for Christ. They were intentional about giving thanks and intentional about loving God. They kept together in close fellowship and they also shared time with others who weren't just like them. Remember, Jesus says to love God and love others. They were grateful for their lives and the lives that they had been given and for everything that had helped them sustain their lives. They took joy in God and His creation and fourthly, they kept their focus on God. Are you a pilgrim, a traveler, one who journeys 
through foreign lands. They kept together and knew what really mattered. If you're a true follower of Jesus, the answer for this question, are you a pilgrim? Is yes. You have to be a pilgrim. You are a true follower of Jesus. And it's a good thing to be a pilgrim. This first Corinthians chapter seven verse thirty one says, For this world in its present form is passing away. It is going away. Remember we're just passing through. We are citizens of heaven. And Jesus says that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And how much did Jesus love us? Abounding. He loved us so much that he gave his life for you. His life for all of us. His life for all of us if we just put our faith in him. That's abounding love. And for that, we should be thankful. We should love others. We are in a foreign land waiting to get to our true home. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the salvation that we have in you. We thank you that you show us what love truly is. We are so thankful for all the small things that we get things that sustain us every day and large things that we get people in our lives who love us Lord help us to show love to others the way you've shown it to us Lord help us to be focused on you and thankful for all that you give us in Jesus name we pray Amen